to Restart Radio, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on the new shiny, shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronics repair events here in London are just the beginning. My name is Ugo Vallauri from the Restart Project, and I'm joined today by Susan Baker from Tech UK. Welcome, Suzanne. Thank you very much. So, uh, Suzanne, um, Tech UK is the organization that represents the views of tech companies, including manufacturers, and in regards to policy developments and a lot more. Your role is uh, the head of the Environment and Compliance Program at Tech UK. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the organizations and how you came to it. Okay, so um, Tech UK, as you mentioned, is the trade association for companies in the digital economy. We have around a thousand members spanning across um, the whole digital kind of end-to-end -end chain from semiconductor manufacturers, consumer electronic manufacturers, uh, the telecom operators like BT and Nokia, Vodafone, all the way through to software platforms um, and the like. So it really is a broad church. Um, I run the Environment Campaign um, uh, program and um, it's my role really to support um, our members in managing changing environmental legislation and compliance uh, needs, but also to help foster conversation about issues that they care about. So for example, uh, we ran a conference in February this year at the bequest of one of our members to explore how the tech sector was responding to the sustainable development goals. Um, we are also looking to do um, more in depth um, events looking at you know what is the role of the tech company around responsible labor how far does that go um, what will the circular economy mean for the tech sector in the longer term and what does science-based targets um, how, do, how do you start to implement science-based targets how do you convince the board to adopt them so we're kind of pushing members but we're also kind of responding to their needs um, um, and um, interests Great. Uh, so today we are celebrating the UN World Environment Day, which um, should be probably not just one day, but every day. Indeed. <laughs> And so one of the challenges that we see in regards to manufacturers and their role uh, within tech manufacturers specifically and their role in ensuring that the environment uh, remains a priority and is a strong priority is the actual lifetime of the products that are brought to market, which has many implications in regards to the design of products, their reparability, mm. uh, their longevity, and what happens at the end of their life. I appreciate that this issue doesn't interest all of the companies that you represent, but for some of them is quite crucial, those that bring out the next generation of smartphones, TVs, uh, your media players, and, and all kinds of other consumer products that are in our pockets and backpacks. What, what, what's happening in the sector? And uh, is, are we moving towards uh, more of an upfront uh, 
proactive role in manufacturers in this respect? I would say that the transition amongst tech manufacturers very much mirrors the transition through of most companies, actually. So the initial focus around climate change and environmental impact was tended to be around your site um, and what, what was happening at that particular site. Um, then we started to consider more about the energy consumption associated with products. And what we've seen is smaller devices, consolidation of devices, so people are using laptops and smartphones and tablets more than, say, desktop computers, which has cut um, the amount of energy that's consumed as a whole by these devices. And now, really, the attention is definitely moving around um, onto the material efficiency aspects of a product. So not only how easy it is to repair, but how easy it is to upgrade um, and to reuse components, to remanufacture, re which is a process which brings a product back to as new standard under manufacturing conditions and how easy it is to recycle and access particularly precious components and materials in, in a product at the end of life. So there's a whole suite of new thinking around these aspects which are being driven as much by some leading manufacturers as they are by um, policymakers. particularly at the moment we're seeing a lot of activity in the EU around this. Um, already, I think some manufacturers are responding, so but they tend to be around um, in the B2B space. So um, companies who are selling directly to businesses. Um, for example, um, I read the other day how Canon's remanufactured re line of products. They bring back used products at the end of life back to their manufacturing facility, one that serves all of Europe in Germany, where they take apart the product, um, look at each component and build it up again to as new. Manufacturers, particularly the ones working on imaging devices, have been yeah. uh, quite keen, especially on the business to business markets. But as consumers find it much harder often to get support uh, for the products that they already have. And uh, we've seen a growing interest and excitement based on the success uh, in terms of media and uh, engagement in the United States with the right to repair campaign. And while in Europe the situation is different and efforts are going in different directions with, as you mentioned, the, the work at the EU level, yeah. how are your members responding to this clear desire that people express um, to repair more and to try to extend the lifespan of their products? Well, it's variable. Um, so I would say that um, you're right. It's slightly different in the EU where we're focused on the circular economy as a whole and, and ways in which we can get more value out of the resources that flow through our, our, um, our society. Um, I think one, one thing that I have heard from, from members is um, a concern around um, the interface between uh, product liability and product safety um, and, and repair. So um, what we mean by that is that um, we have seen recently, and um, there's 
plenty of reports that um, and studies that verify this. I think one of the most recent ones was by Europol and the EU Intellectual Property Office, which highlighted the, the flooding of counterfeit spare parts um, that um, have uh, come in onto the EU market, particularly because there's more routes to market um, and it's um, cheaper to manufacture counterfeit parts. Um, and they highlighted in particular that these are um, often um, replacement parts for mobile phones is, is one of the areas where they've seen, for example, growth. Um, there's a, a lovely little NGO called Electrical Safety First who look um, and campaign on product safety. And they did a study at the end of last year which looked at um, fake or lookalike iPhone chargers. And they found that 90% of them um, actually um, put consumers at risk, at personal risk of lethal um, electric shocks or, or fires. So that we really are concerned about that market. And so there is a balance to be struck between encouraging repair, but equally ensuring that it can be done safely and using parts which are um, safe to use. And you're bringing it to, to a very key, key point, the availability of spare parts. Now, for the first time in the EU, uh, there is a draft uh, eco-design legislation for washing machine and dishwashers, which uh, w includes provision for availability of spare parts for a minimum uh, number of years. Uh, this is still being discussed and negotiated, but could form a precedent, even though you, you don't work on white goods specifically. Yeah. Uh, the, the fact that there are counterfeit parts on the market at times seems to be directly a result of the lack of an open market for uh, legitimate parts uh, provided by manufacturers, while very often the same manufacturers don't provide uh, official repair services beyond the one or two year warranty, depending on the countries. How would you respond to that? I think we're seeing quite a lot of service innovation starting to emerge, actually. So, um, for example, Samsung have just launched a new doorstep fleet service where you can book uh, for an engineer to come to your home or wherever's convenient, and they'll literally drive up and aim to repair the device within an hour. They've also started using... Uh, um, uh, remote um, apps rather onto the devices so that software engineers can log on to your device with your permission to um, di remotely diagnose a problem with say your smart TV. Um, so we are seeing I think some interesting um, changes in the, the system to respond to this growing demand for repair. Um, I think actually, though, repair activities have been increasing for a while. We did a, a report partly in response to Brexit to look at what the implications would be for our sector. But we found in that report that um, repair activities or repair exports, because a lot of uh, sites that manufacturers use aren't in the UK, were growing 9% a year between um, 2009 and 2014. So there's definitely a kind of renaissance and interest in repair. It's about how to make that as easy as possible um, because of course um, there is this conception that it's inconvenient and expensive um, and I think that's partly driven by the fact that actually you know appliances and electronics have become so cheap compared to how they were in the past 
you know, in the 1950s, the reason why aunts, your auntie's washing machine lasts for 50 years is probably because she spent a month's wages on it. You know, and now we don't pay anywhere near as much um, for our products and appliances. And yet we, we've come kind of full circle where now we're in the opposite situation where sometimes you have a perfectly fine smartphone and if you wanted to install uh, or get installed a new battery for it, it might not be available officially from the manufacturer past the official warranty. Well, and it is a concern. And uh, I think this has fueled a lot of resistance to the role the manufacturers have in providing omnicomprehensive repair. Yeah. Um, and I would also add that repair um, done by the manufacturer often limits uh, quite arbitrarily uh, the type of repairs that are made available. Um, so, for example, a button or a microphone might not be fixed by the manufacturer, which would recommend, at least this is the case with Apple, to buy a refurbished phone at half the price. And at times this is really a lot of money that people aren't prepared to pay rightly when there's just one button failing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's quite a few points. Let me try and um, separate that out. I think on the first point around um, frustration around, was it the cost of spare parts? Um, well, um, I think part of that reflects uh, the fact that you're not benefiting from um, um, uh, at scale manufacturing. I think it's difficult to appreciate just how much that has helped to reduce the cost of product. When you have spare parts, you have to store them somewhere. Um, we often see that uh, chemical legislation which is important in its own right but sometimes it means that the chemicals used within that spare part means that it can no longer be made available or placed on the market so they have to be scrapped so there's a kind of reluctance as a result of chemical legislation which is changing and doing some wonderful things to keep a whole huge inventory of spare parts that you might later have to scrap entirely so it's a balance to be made then the second point around batteries i think the, the kind of key thing here really is that the concerns around product safety are very much centered on batteries and on chargers because that's where we see the, the greatest potential risks associated with electric shocks and fires. Um, Lithium batteries, um, lithium-ion batteries have been handled irresponsibly in the past. We've heard of um, some people who have stored a couple of batteries in their back pocket and have, it has exploded where they've rubbed together and caused friction. There's even very um, specialist handling at the end of life for lithium-ion batteries. You know, they are you know, need to be treated in the right way. Absolutely. So, um, we would certainly agree yeah. uh, with you on that point. Yeah. But that shouldn't justify not making not even the official options available for every brand. I guess this is why legislation pushing manufacturers to at least comply at one bare minimum level for a number of years since releasing the device would seem to be a sensible option. And I think 
eco-design is a wonderful piece of regulation which is very much undervalued. You know, it has helped to drive more reductions in carbon emissions than, say, emissions trading, but doesn't get hardly any press or attention. It's done some amazing things. And it's absolutely the right platform to start addressing these issues because you're creating a level playing field and all manufacturers can compete at the same level. It's also the way that the um, requirements are designed is there's an in-depth study that really looks at the product across its entire life cycle. So you can really start to target interventions, policy interventions, where it's really actually needed. Um, and I think that sort of evidence-based, considered approach that brings in together the views of manufacturers, stake um, charities and NGOs um, um, and safety experts, I think is the right platform to, to deal with these issues at scale. Do you have a knack for starting up dead electronic devices and electrical appliances? Our team of volunteers are what keeps the restart project running. We are looking for more men and women to join our community, our monthly restart parties which happen all over London and are spreading across England, are a great way to meet people and learn new skills. Visit the restartproject.org be part of a movement that puts life back into the world of electronics. You are listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM. And we are joined today by Susan Baker of Tech UK. So we agree that safety is clearly crucial in ensuring a sustainable growth of the repair uh, economy. How do we ensure that repairs stay within reasonable costs? Okay, so I think there are a number of options that are available and certainly the government, the UK government at the moment is developing its um, resources and waste strategy for England. Um, and this is one of the commitments under its 25-year environment plan. And we've submitted a couple of recommendations, which we hope that they give serious attention to. So one is around innovation. So we think um, that 3D printing of spare, simple spare parts could help to bring down the costs um, in the in future. Um, and we'd definitely like to see some some public trials of, of this approach. Um, certainly some of our members are already running com competitions for designs and to try and stimulate thinking in this activity. So I think that's quite exciting. There is also um, developments around um, smart home technologies. So there is um, some home energy management systems track and monitor your energy use across your home. And um, some of them, for example, um, one that's um, manufactured by Verve, can actually start to detect when your, your appliances are starting to act a bit dodgy and alert you to the potential of your fridge failing. Um, so you can actually book and order spare parts and an engineer to come to your house to fix your fridge way in advance of that product actually breaking. Um, so, um, you know, I, I don't know about you, but if my washing machine goes, I've got two boys that produce lots of washing. I just want to get it replaced as quickly as possible. So hopefully that can then sort of 
over, overcome those barriers to repair. I think the third thing that we're really interested in is um, something that's been done in Sweden, which is to reduce the VAT associated with repair activities, so the labour involved in repair. Um, so for for small repairs, they've worked on reducing VAT, but for uh, household appliances, actually, they provide a tax uh, credit, uh, which is probably m- even more substantial than a reduction on VAT. Yeah, it sounds good to me. I mean, the, the problem is, I suppose, is that it's only been implemented um, last year, so we don't have any firm data on how it's actually performing. But conceptually, it sounds like a, a really good idea and anything that can reduce the cost of repair has to be a good thing. There's some of what's not currently discussed in, in the EU level or even at UK level is the cost of the spare parts uh, provided by manufacturers. Uh, obviously, it's all very good if parts become more widely available for a minimum number of years. But that alone wouldn't provide any certainty on providing them at a price point that would incentivize repair rather than making it prohibitive. What's your position on this? I think it will depend on the nature of the eco-design requirements that come out. So it might be that the provision of spare parts might be matched with a warranty which would mean that the manufacturer would have to give those parts for free um, under um, under a, a warranty. So we might see extended warranties becoming a feature. Um, uh, I go back to the point really where when you're storing things for a while um, without knowing who wants it when and where, um, and it can become expensive. You know, the way modern manufacturing operates is just in time. You get just the amount of resources you need to make the product. But couldn't you have just in time spare parts just in the same fashion as you have just in time manufacturing of products? Because it, it's the same type of product. Yeah, but you don't get products. the volume that to get the economies of scale. So that's sure. why we think 3D printing could play a really important role here because that responds to um, the potential of being able to do just in time. However, manufacturers do have access to data, uh, which obviously is not shared with uh, consumers around the failure rate of their products. So one would imagine that it's quite Mm. possible to predict the incidence of a specific type of repair. I think there are, some do, not all. I think it depends on the products that we're talking about. So perhaps with TVs that aren't kind of connected in any way, it's the, the, the retail, um, normally people go to their retailer that they bought it from, maybe then the actual original manufacturer if they have a problem. Under UK law, you can return a product within 30 days if you have an issue. And often the date is not really captured very well at all, kind of what the problem has been. Um, and they tend to get thrown onto a, um, a pallet um, and not be in any condition when they reach the manufacturer to determine what the actual original problem was. So I think it's variable. But yeah, I think um, manufacturers should be in a position where they can identify common points of failure. And certainly this is one of the ideas that's being explored in a new standard around repairability. So that's it, some of the ideas that are being thought about at the moment is whether you would rank parts according to their risk of failure. Um, and then, um, you know, you can build your inventory around that. But it's still quite hard to to 
uh, anticipate because it depends on you know, a whole load of different variables, including whether you're smoking in your home, how dusty it is, how quickly you're, um, how often you're vacuuming your home, to the temperature. There's all sorts of variables which can um, impact uh, a product's performance. In regards to the conversation on uh, policy uh, changes, uh, sure, in the US, in 14 states, there is legislation being written to push for the right to repair. Mm. We come here back to the UK, uh, where we are at a very interesting time in history. We as consumers and uh, uh, community repairers are very concerned that uh, the Brexit will mean that we will not benefit from the next rounds of EU um, work on eco-design and any other measure to improve product repairability. What is the industry's view on the risks associated mm -hmm. with Brexit? Okay, well, so Theresa May has said that anything that's agreed before March 2019 will be implemented into UK law. And a lot of the current work around eco-design um, is uh, planned to be released in a winter package. However, it has been an area which has suffered delays. Some of it's been quite controversial. It has to go through quite a... Um, uh, long-winded process within the Commission uh, to get sign-off. Um, so um, from a manufacturer's point of view, you know, our, our members are making for, um, for the whole of Europe. They don't want to make something separate for the UK. We want to see harmonised product standards um, across Europe um, and really don't think there is any benefit in deviating from what is actually a very ambitious um, movement from the Commission. And I think there's definitely more to come. This is just the start that we're seeing in the, the, the implementing measures for washing machines and, and fridges. And for a lot of products that are more directly relevant mm. for your members, from computers to potentially yeah. smartphones in the future, this is <coughs> stuff that will happen in the next perhaps two to four years' time. Yeah, smartphones are being looked at at the moment. Um, so there's a study underway, but it hasn't ever been dealt with under eco-design rules in the past. Um, so it, it, this might be an area that, um, that will happen once we've left the EU. But I definitely sense an appetite by the UK government at the moment to take this seriously. So in, there's been three key strategy documents from government since we've, we've announced that we're going to leave the EU. The Clean Growth Strategy, which sets out how we're going to meet our next carbon budgets the industrial strategy um, and the 25-year environment plan. And all of them talk around the need to increase our resource productivity, how to design products better and to make products more durable. So I don't think this is going away. In regards to specifically electronics, manufacturing and extending uh, lifetime of products, what do you think is the UK main challenge in regards to Brexit? Um, I think the challenge would be if actually it struck out to try and be more ambitious than Europe. We are seeing some interesting dialogue on Twitter between Gove and the Commission trying to outdo itself on or outdo each other on plastics, for example, um, which is obviously a, a kind of hot issue at the moment. Um, um, I do wonder whether or not... Um, going beyond European um, standards 
will make a discernible impact in the UK. It doesn't often work when countries go it alone. It's much better to work in a big block, which means it's very difficult to manufacturers to, to ignore. One of my last question, one of our other concerns in regards to extending product durability uh, has to do with level of software uh, updates, uh, bringing security as well as new features or maintaining the features that are already there. Often manufacturers don't seem very bold in committing to a minimum number of years and they just prefer to say maximum two years um, software updates, which frustrates a lot of consumers. Has this issue come across uh, to Tech UK? Uh, it's not something we've talked about, um, but it's. Um, I think the focus has been more around physical repair rather than software updates around durability. Um, but it's certainly something that um, my phone is older than two years. It's a refurb, remanufactured phone. And possibly the, the issue with that is not the software updates, but the security patches, which are taking up the, the hard drive and reducing the memory. There ha that has been addressed in part by moving a lot of services and functions to the cloud. So your phone is not so reliant on the physical um, memory um, on, the, on the device as it has done in the past. But perhaps that's somewhat, something that could be also addressed through eco-design rules. Great. Well, Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us. It's always interesting to see how consumers and manufacturers can have a positive dialogue, even if we don't agree on everything. Um, you've been listening to Restart Radio. We have a number of restart parties coming up uh, this week, starting with this afternoon, this evening in Kentish Town at the Kentish Town Community Centre. Then on Thursday evening, at the Remakery in Brixton, and then in West London on Saturday at Ickenham. You can follow our work on social media at Restart Project uh, on both Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Till the next week, and thanks Cassini Sound and Noise for our music. <laughs> <laughs>